Blog Talk Radio. The new theater of the mind. The Bruce Collins Show. Welcome back to the Bruce Collins Show. This is Bruce Collins. It's great to have you listening tonight. Uh, we have a great guest tonight. Before we get to that, I just wanted to say thank you so much for those of you who listened to the very first episode on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we actually had listeners from Japan, Colombia, Germany, and Australia. We're obviously hoping to expand that, but uh, we're very thankful for those of you who checked out the program um, I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like this episode. Tonight, we have a returning guest. Now, of course, I haven't been doing this for six years, so bear with me. But uh, this guest has been keeping busy. His name is Joe Jordan. Joe Jordan is the president and co-founder of CE4 Research Group, an alien abduction investigation and research team. Joe has been a MUFON, MUFON standing for Mutual UFO Network, field investigator since 1992. He has shared his research findings from his alien abduction investigations through many radio shows, newspaper and magazine articles, DVDs, and lectures. His research findings on alien abductions have been written about in many different authored books over the past decade, and he has a new book, new meaning this has been written since I interviewed him last six years ago. It's a very recent book, so we're going to talk about that tonight, too. So let me bring him onto the program, and I want to first say, Joe, welcome back to the Bruce Collins Show. Bruce, it's great to be back on with you. It's been a long time. It certainly has. Now, I know you're uh, based out of Florida these days, and with all the news going on, um, can you give us a report? How, how much were you impacted by these hurricanes that have taken place? Uh, not too bad, actually, where I'm located. Um, I'm, along, I'm right here on the Space Coast um, on the east side of Florida, right here by the Kennedy Space Center. And I'm just inland from the Space Center. So we've got the barrier islands that uh, protect our area where I actually live at uh, quite well. Both of the hurricanes pretty much walked across us right here in this area. But uh, a lot of wind damage, cleaned the trees out quite a bit. I did lose power both times, um, which, that, that you know, that causes issues. We're so used and comfortable to living with electricity. When you lose it for a couple of days, it uh, plays on you a little bit, you know, reminds you of how uh, comfortable we've gotten over the years. But otherwise, uh, not bad. I have seen some, some pretty good damage along some of the coastlines, though. But uh, like I said, being inland a little bit, protected by the barrier islands, um, we did pretty good. That's good to hear. Now, this radio show used to be on a, a radio, an AM radio station in Bradenton, which is south of Tampa. And I know that area was the the western side of Florida was impacted pretty heavily. Yes, very heavily on the first hurricane that came through, uh, you know, last month. Uh, they took a lot of damage because that's where it actually came on land at. Uh, this one came on land on our side, on the east side. So, uh, you know, we, we we both had an opportunity to, you know, to, to experience it actually coming on land and hitting. Yeah. One of the things that, that is probably most important to start with is our, our fascination with cats. 
Uh, I had uh, two cats that actually passed away this year. They were 17 years old and I bought a kitten recently, which uh, I didn't, I had forgotten how much energy they have. He's a little black kitten named bear. I didn't name him. The humane society did, but uh, you've had cats. Um, what, what is it about cats that, that fascinates you or interests you? For me, it's, I, I feel like um, I was a dog person when I was younger, but every dog seems similar. <laughs> the breed, if you buy one uh, German schnauzer, the next German schnauzer seems like it's, it's the same thing, but, Cats seem to have very distinct, quirky personalities. Do you find that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I will share something with you that I, I got to thinking about a little while back. Um, I've been through many, many cats over the years. Most of them live until their full extent life. Uh, I had one that lived in 19 and passed while I was over there in Korea. And... Uh, What's interesting in something I've watched while I've had multiple cats, and like you said, you had two, and I've got two right now that are um, here together with me. I brought them back from Korea with me. And uh, it's interesting, and and I'm not sure I understand what's happening there, but it's something that I have recognized is over the years when I've had more than one cat, there's always been the one that attaches itself to me personally. You know, and even though they got all different personalities, which we were just talking about, there's been one that has always been the one that's been mine. And when I sleep at night, it's right up under my armpit, you know, on either side. And it it seems to be almost, I hate to use the term, but almost like a comforting angel, you know, that's there to, to keep me in check. But what the interesting part of it is, is, As one cat is the dominant one that's the closest to me, the other one keeps its place at the foot of the bed. It never tries to take its place where the one that's the closest to me at that time. But once the one that's closest to me reaches its old age and eventually passes on, immediately the younger one that's kept its place at the foot of the bed moves to that position and assumes the position of the one that the other one had. And it's almost like it's the same cat or same personality behind it. You understand what I'm saying? It's almost, I know exactly I know exactly what you're saying, yes. And I'm on my fourth one right now that's, that I've been through in that position. I've got a younger one right now, and he keeps his position. He doesn't try to take the position of the older one closest to me, but he's just as close to me, you know, any other time playing and socializing as the older one. <clears throat> but when it's time to to take his place at bedtime or whatever, you know, he stays at the foot. And I have no doubt when this older one passes that that younger one will move up just like the other ones have. And it's, it, like I said, it, it just feels like it's been a, a comforting angel that's been there all along since I've been a believer that's been there for me to keep me in check, to keep me calm, to keep me, you know, relaxed, which they do. These cats do that. And it it's always seems like there's one behind it all the time. It just goes from cat to cat. I don't know. Just my thinking. Yeah. On that. Yeah. It's almost like they rise up in rank 
Um, yeah. And I've had that I've had that experience happen before too. Uh, so we wanted to talk about your um, involvement with MUFON and also UFOs and aliens. Obviously, these are topics that people are interested in. So for those who may not be familiar with your research specifically, how did you get involved with MUFON? Oh, it was quite an accident, <laughs> actually. Um, it all started back in 92. I was on a vacation trip to visit my brother in Alaska and. I was looking for something to read because back then we didn't have all the electronics available to us, you know, to take up the time on a long airplane trip, especially 10 and a half hours from Orlando to Anchorage. And, you know, I had to find something to pass the time just staring at the guy sitting next to me or whatever. So I went to the kiosk there at the Orlando airport looking for something to read. And I picked up a book that I thought was a science fiction book because I was an avid science fiction reader in my younger years. And I figured that would pass the time, you know, get something that would take me away into fantasy land, you know, for the time period. And uh, I picked up this one book. It looked science fiction from the cover, um, the title. But when I turned it over and looked at the back of it, read the synopsis, it was everything but science fiction. Uh, This book said it was an investigation into something that happened, a a crash landing of an object in a place called Roswell, New Mexico, in the middle of the Midwest desert, something I'd never heard of. And um, that puzzled me because it should have been a science fiction book, but it says it wasn't. It said it was based on science research. Well, that puzzlement to me was because I knew there was a definite black line between reality and fiction, especially science fiction. And this book was graying that line for me. And that's what caught my interest. Not the idea of UFOs and, you know, per se, but just the idea that this was something that shouldn't make, that it wasn't making sense to me and, and shouldn't make sense. So I picked up the book and I read it and I ended up with a thousand questions after reading it. You know, is this whole idea real of, of flying saucers? You know, could this be something that's actually a reality that's crossed over from, you know, what I thought was, you know, fantasy and sci-fi? So that was what started me into all of this. And as I kept asking questions and digging deeper into it, I was introduced to the Mutual UFO Network, uh, which was the largest grassroots scientific research investigation organization uh, in the in the world today, and founded in 1969, and they have been putting together this vast database of UFO reports to be able to query the reports, to be able to put together you know similarities, things that they're seeing that might uh, give them some type of answer to what this phenomenon is. And the organization was quite well organized when I looked into it. Um, up, right now, they got upwards of probably 5,000 members, and not wow. just field investigators that follow up on sighting reports, but researchers um, and specialists in different fields, people of PhD caliber uh, that we can call on and, and, and ask for help if we're puzzled on a report or an investigation. So it, it's, it's quite a good organization to be part of if you really want to do honest, objective science based research into this phenomenon. And I encourage people to to look into it and 
maybe become part of the organization as an investigator. Because if one thing that I would say this, the organization has done for me and the reason I stay with it is because it's training, it takes you through to become a field investigator. It teaches you to think properly. And I think a lot of people today don't think properly. I think that uh, when they see something that they can't understand, they, you know, most people go for the most outlandish answer for what it might be. And in true logical, scientific research and looking into something, that's not the way it works. You eliminate mm-hmm. everything else first before you start looking at those outlandish answers. So if we could dig down on that a little bit. Um, so you're saying that the research is, is um, legitimate by MUFON as opposed to, you know, some of the lesser reputable, say, Internet researchers or YouTubers that seem to be all over the landscape. Um, how, how do they, how is that a, a cut above what other people are doing? Well, I think it's more organized in the way that they go about doing the actual investigations and research. And, you know, that's part of the training that they give us. And you don't jump to conclusions. You leave your preconceived notions, you know, at the door before you start into it. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to do, you know, to be totally objective going into an investigation. And I think a lot of people aren't doing that. Um, the more and more nowadays we see the YouTubers and, you know, the, the Facebook researchers that, you know, they'll jump to major conclusions first, you know, and, and put their own spin on it and, and try to push that spin and try to get answers to fit the spin. But MUFON doesn't work that way. MUFON gathers the information. They, they don't go, there's no bias to it. And they let it fall where it may. You know, and, and looking at what you would ask anybody in MUFON about the UFO phenomenon, you know, they would all tell you the same thing, that 98% or more of all UFO sightings that are reported are either misidentified man-made objects or misidentified natural phenomenon. So when it comes down to the real investigations into UFOs and UAPs, they now call them, it's a small percentage of what's being reported that really deserves in-depth investigation and research. So if someone wanted to become a member of MUFON, is that, what's the process? Is it a volunteer organization? Yes, it's all volunteer. Um, the organization, anybody can join. Anybody can be part of it. Um, they are a 501c3, by the way. And you can go to their website, www.mufon.com. And you'll see the links up at the top of the page when it opens up and, you know, where it says join. And you can come in at different levels. You can come in just as somebody that's interested in what MUFON's doing. Um, that pretty much gets you in as a what they call a journal subscriber membership. And they put out a great MUFON journal, monthly journal. You can get it in hard copy or um, through email, you know, digital. And if you want to go into a more involved state, you can level up to the next level and come in as a field investigator. Uh, you'll be required to purchase the field investigator's manual, 
And I will tell you, you'll be quite surprised of what they put together. It's quite extensive. Once you have done that, that opens you up to, to the ability to be able to take the test that's required to become a field investigator. Um, I'll let you know that it uh, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not extremely hard uh, for everybody, though, it's, but it's not easy. It makes you dig. It makes you become that investigator to dig for answers. You know, not all the answers are, I will tell you this, not all the answers to the questions are in the manual. Um, you'll have to go and dig and do some research on the Internet uh, to try and to find the, the answers to some of the questions. But that's the whole purpose is to get you to try and find answers, you know, to get you to use the tools that are available uh, as a field investigator to try and find answers to what you might be dealing with. Uh, it's a great opportunity. You'll get to mentor under somebody that's in your area. Uh, they'll do their best to set you up with somebody um, that's in your county or in your state that you can mentor under. And um, like myself, I'm a state section director for my county here, Brevard County, Florida. And I'm actually doing the trainings in uh, my monthly meetings that I do here for MUFON and trying to train up some people that are interested in being field investigators and get them to understand the whole process and get them to where they're able to follow up on reports themselves. Now, when I was younger, I listened to a lot of Art Bell when I should have been sleeping and because I had to get up early for work. But uh, nonetheless, I really liked his interview style, even though um, actually I was more, I believed more in pretty much all of the guests back then than I do today, obviously. But he had many different different kinds of guests and some interesting ones. He used to interview a gentleman who represented SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, I believe. And sure. also, also Peter Davenport, who was up in Washington with, uh, I believe it was the national UFO reporting center or something like that. What, yeah, what are the different, are there differences between these? Yeah. Are there differences between these organizations? Um, there is actually. Uh, Peter's organization for the National Reporting Center um, was very similar to MUFON. It was another avenue that people could report their sightings to, and he was open to sharing his work and, and reports that were coming in with MUFON. So, you know, they, they weren't completely separated from each other to where he was hiding his stuff and MUFON wouldn't share their stuff. Uh, it, it was just another avenue that people could report to. Um, Peter Peter stayed at that for quite a long time. It was it was quite a setup. So there's you know there's a lot of reports that came in on both sides um, that just gave to a larger database to try and you know find out what this is. But when you talk about SETI, that's completely different. That's based on actual scientists that are part of a group that are trying to find, I guess, messages that come in or uh, I don't know how you say it, messages or signals that come in from yeah. outside of our outside of our planet, okay? And that's the way they're looking for extraterrestrial life, from something that's far out there. The difference between MUFON and um, Peter Davenport's group and SETI is that we're looking at things that are here, that are visiting here, that we believe are visiting, or people believe that are visiting here. Um, 
one of the interesting things about UFOs and UAPs is they don't seem to be reported entering our atmosphere. And, you know, that's a question, well, why don't we see them entering our atmosphere? Are they already here? That's a possibility. Um, But SETI's looking farther out, way far out, you know, and they're looking at it in a different manner than we are uh, as MUFON or uh, Peter Davenport's group. Sort of like Jodie Foster in the movie Contact. Since the last time I interviewed you, and I can't believe it's been six years, time really has flown by. Uh, I know you've written a a book, and uh, you have a co-author. Talk about your co-author. I believe he's also a member of CE4 Research. And also, what can people find in your book? Well, let me start with the book first. Um, Piercing the Cosmic Veil. Uh, was the title I chose for the book, and it was it was based actually on a concept of an experience that I actually include in the book that a gentleman had, and uh, I took the, the idea and the artwork for that. Uh, one of my good friends did the artwork, Bobby Marcy. He's an artist out of uh, Oklahoma, does some fantastic work, beautiful, beautiful artwork. And I've known Bobby for some time, and I didn't think he would be up to doing this because I know he does a lot of commissioned work, really, really good stuff. And I asked him, you know, I said, Bobby, would you be interested in doing, a, you know, the artwork for the book? And he was he was ecstatic. He, he was glad that I asked him, and the artwork is done by, by Bobby. And it was everything that I could give him on my concept of what I was seeing and he did a great job putting it together. And the whole idea is about these entities seem to have the ability to pierce a veil from their realm to our realm that we don't have the ability to do. We can't seem to go from our realm to their realm. And I say realm when I refer to them because my research and a lot of other researchers today compared to what it used to be um, years ago are seeing that this that there's a good possibility that what we're dealing with is something that is from another dimension or another realm than ours that maybe what we're dealing with here is not extraterrestrial biological entities like we thought before and that's what I was trying to convey in the picture that's on the book piercing a cosmic veil, um, that they're coming through this veil. They have that ability. And that seems to be what we're seeing here. The way I put the book together is the first part of the book is broken up into thirds. The first part of the book is my 27 years of research and how I got to my findings and what my findings are, in my words. And then the second part of the book, I I tried something a little different. My CE4 Research Facebook page, I put it out there to my Facebook page followers, and I said, guys, I'm putting this book together, and I want to give everyone an opportunity to be part of this work. They have been by being followers and keeping up with everything and helping share the work. So I put it out there to them. I said, if you can come up with a question that nobody else has asked yet that you think should be in the book, 
answers to it should be in the book. I'll include you in the book for asking the question. And I ended up with really good 30, 32, 33 questions that I chose. And I put the people's name in there who asked it, gave them credit for it. And then I had the questions answered for them so that the way I perceive this is if somebody else was reading this book that wasn't familiar with it, these are questions that they may ask. Okay, and I was trying to cover the basis in the book so that they wouldn't have to go elsewhere, you know, to reach out or whatever to get the answers. All the answers would be included. And I, the way I did it by answering the questions is it wasn't just my answers. I took a lot of the peers that I've been working with over the years that have done very serious work into this field from the same perspective that I've, I've come at it, and I used some of their papers that they've written that would answer these questions. So if a question came up that I knew that my friend um, Ian Juby in Canada could have answered, I'd look back at the work that he had done and I'd find that and I'd include his his writing or his paper to answer that question. So that I let people know that if if it even wasn't I answering the question, but one of my peers answering the question, I stood by that answer but I felt that they could answer it better than me. Okay, you understand? Yes. And then I got to the third part of the book, and that's the evidence, you know, because I've been showing the evidence of what I found for years now, and I thought, you know, I've, I've got to make that impacting. And it's the testimonials of people that have had this alien abduction experience, which is what I researched, and I've got – close to 60 testimonies in there in that third part of the book that are just a, you know, small drop in the bucket of what I do have. I mean, I've still got a couple hundred that I've never shared before um, that I still got to put out there for people to see, but there's, you know, there's plenty that I've had on my website for years, you know, um, that you can see, but these were new ones that hadn't been shared yet besides the ones on the internet that I've had. And, and I want to Jason give your December, oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. The reason I brought Jason into this is because I, I came across Jason uh, a couple of years, years ago. Uh, he had reached out um, and I answered back to him right away, which kind of surprised him. He wasn't expecting that. And as I listened to his story, I realized that Jason had a testimony to his experiences that covered the entire gamut of what people were reporting. And he he had the whole thing. And it was just awesome to listen to him tell his story. And he's done, you know, fantastic job on getting his, you know, his testimony out there. Um, so I recommend, you know, you can find Jason on the, on YouTube. But he's done a number of interviews. Jason December is his name. And he's out of Huntington Beach, California. And uh, Jason and I have been on shows together, too. And, you know, he's just a powerful person to listen to and, and somebody that is a great testimony to what somebody goes through at the extreme level. But at the same time, he's, in, he's a testimony of somebody that no longer deals with this experience anymore. And that's what my research is about. Excellent. And it sounds like somebody I need to get in contact with. Again, the book is Piercing the Cosmic Veil by Joe Jordan and Jason December. 
I was going to ask you, how do I pronounce that name? It looks like a misspelling of the month of Christmas. But, uh, <laughs> but so fortunately, yeah, you like pronounced it. December. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So you said that these um, beings are coming from, uh, rather than coming from another planet, they're coming from another uh, dimension or they're coming from another space. Uh, they're, they're coming from another realm. Uh, so is it safe to say that UFOs are a deception? Is, are these craft that people see? I know you said a lot of them are probably man-made or they're, they could be um, phenomenon that is non, you know, alien entity or, or supernatural entity, whatever we want to call it. Um, is that a deception? In other words, the fact that we see these things, the legitimate ones, is that a purposeful uh, tactic to make us see these things as what we see? Well, let's, let's start out this way. Instead of me giving you my view on this, let's look at what the, some of the top people that are looking at this say before I give you my view. Because okay. I think you'll be quite fascinated, and your listeners will be quite fascinated at what some of the leading researchers into this phenomenon are saying now. <clears throat> I've got a few here, and I'll read them for you. There's a very, very strong link between what people think demons are from the Bible and other religions and the UFO phenomenon. What you have is something that doesn't like man and either feels jealous of or has some kind of plan for what man is to be. That just makes it that much more worse when you think about it. And this is another quote from the same person. All the different areas of the world have different stories of gods, and I call, I, I call them with a little g. These are beings that have godlike powers. They are meddling in human affairs. And those two quotes come from Tom DeLong. And if your listeners are familiar with what's going on out there and the leading players in this realm, Tom DeLong is one of those leading players. He is the head of the of To the Stars Academy, which some of the top names in the research are part of. And they're working together to try and get this information out. Here's another one. In a recent podcast interview with Professor Gary Nolan of Stanford, he's asked, you have told me that you believe, this is what the interviewer is saying, you have told me <laughs> that you believe on evidence that there are non-human technologies on this planet. Professor Gary Nolan, he says, advanced capabilities. I don't know if it's a technology per se, I'm leaving it open to the idea that it's some form of consciousness that is non-material. There's some interesting answers here, especially coming from some of the top researchers. Here's one that just came out. Former CIA officer Jim Semivan and his wife had their own encounters with aliens in their bedroom. As Semivan recounted on Coast to Coast AM show, he stated that it was a real encounter and not a state of trance. Paranormal activities were observed by both Sermavan and his wife in their house. Sermavan agreed with the statements made by Skinwalker Ranch researcher Colin Keller that the UFO phenomenon is a lot more than nuts and bolts and machines. 
There are also psychic and biological elements that make things even weirder. I think they mentioned that the phenomenon is a natural part of our universe, and we're living in it, but we don't recognize it, the same way that insects and animals don't recognize the human universe. A cat and a dog could be running through a library, but they don't have the faintest idea what the books are all about and what libraries are all about. We might be walking through our existence, and there's a whole other reality that surrounds us that we just simply don't have the ability to see or interact with. These are fascinating quotes from some leading people. There's another one from him, Jim Summervan. This is something we've been dealing with for a long time. Imagine the first person to get on a boat and sail over the horizon. There are, there are stories of sea monsters and krakens that would devour you and destroy your boat, yet we did it anyways. We did sail, and we did explore the world. It turns out 500 years later, there really are sea monsters. We call them the great squid of the Pacific and great white sharks and whales. Now they're just part of nature and have a scientific name. But those sea monsters still exist. They're here. We just learn to understand them. Maybe this is the same thing. Maybe this is just another expedition over the horizon where we're going to realize what we thought were monsters are really just neighbors. Hmm. And this is one that really shook me when I read this one from him. I had some friends who were like, oh, my daughter wants to know all about UFOs. Can we talk to you about that? And I said, no, I'm not going to talk to you about that. What am I going to tell her or him, these 10 or 11-year-olds? Did such a reality kill them psychologically for the rest of their lives? Yes, that there is a force out there that can control our environment and put thoughts into our heads, that they can lie to you, deceive you, and you are not in control of your life? Tell this to a 12-year-old. These are amazing quotes coming from some of the top people in the realm right now. And what you're seeing here is not something that we're familiar with as far as the extraterrestrial biological entity scenario that we've been looking at for years and years. And years. This is looking to be something entirely different. And if you go on and follow what's happening in the world today with these leading researchers, you'll see that they actually mirror a lot of what was said <clears throat> decades ago by Dr. Jack Vallee, where he says human beings are under the control of a strange force that bends them in absurd ways, forcing them to play a role in a bizarre game of this deception. And that was from his book, Messengers of Deception. And that was decades ago. So when they didn't listen to what was being said by him and other researchers back in that time, they're starting to go back and see that maybe he was true on what he was talking about. Maybe he was correct. <clears throat> and this is kind of where my work has led to, that I don't believe what we've been dealing with is extraterrestrial biological entities at all. I think they're masquerading, like he says, to appear in that form. And it sounds like these uh, realizations have been uh, coming in faster as of late, because six years ago when I interviewed you, I don't think that was a 
a popular theme. Was it coming from some of these people? No. These are all brand new quotes that have been out just in the past couple of years. Interesting. There's been That's a major change. The, the first time I saw the change myself and it, the hint of the change was back in 2008 when I had the opportunity to be the director for the city of Roswell for the Roswell UFO Festival Conference, um, where I had the I had the opportunity to invite the speakers myself, and you know choose what the lineup was going to be, and, and I chose what I thought were probably the best you know at that time, but I never expected to hear what I heard being said at that conference. I mean, I knew their work, but mm-hmm. the whole thing started to take a shift where they were starting to question speaker after speaker in their talks, <laughs> totally unexpected to hear this, that they were starting to question, could this be something other than what we thought this could be? Could this be something that's maybe interdimensional? And that's when I started to hear that word, and I started to go, oh, my. They're finally starting to say, you know, the talk in the same terms and language. Not exactly the same language, but enough to get close enough. You know, even with the UAPs that scientists are trying to, uh, you know, understand that are being seen by the Navy out there, you know, we hear the, we hear conversations with them where they're saying that, you know, these objects seem to defy our natural physics. And maybe there's another physics that we don't know about yet. Um, you know, they're trying to understand what they're seeing in terms of science and mathematics. But I truly believe what we're dealing with here has got nothing to do with science and mathematics or technology. I think what we're seeing here is natural ability of a being from another realm. And this is their ability that they have when they come through that veil. And there's many different types of abilities that they have. But the only way that scientists in, in secular, the secular mind can answer these questions is in terms of technology, science, or mathematics. And those are just not doing it for them. Yeah, and I want to get into a couple of testimonials from your book, but before we do that, this sort of ties into what you're saying right now. I recently watched a new Unsolved Mysteries episode on Netflix, and it was talking about the Navajo Nation in north, northeastern Arizona. I used to live in Tucson, Arizona. And apparently in this area where the, um, the four corners are, Utah and Colorado and Arizona and New Mexico, uh, they, or maybe it's Nevada and Colorado. Anyway, um, they, they're experiencing all sorts of um, weird things like Bigfoot sightings, UFOs, balls of light, all kinds of strange paranormal activity. And uh, they, they don't call Bigfoot uh, a, you know, a primate. They, they say he's supernatural, he's Navajo. So their, their understanding is that all of these things are supernatural. So can we glean from this that all these different activities may be under the same umbrella? I believe that we can. And I think it's just a matter of looking at them a little closer. Um, they're already seeing 
and they're already referring to a lot of what is being seen at Skinwalker Ranch, let's say, that a lot of the things that are recorded there and seen there seem to be mirroring a lot of the same thing. So let's talk about testimonials then, and then we'll provide, and probably within these testimonies, there'll be some solutions that we can gather from that. But uh, we will also concretely establish that, you know, after that. But talk about the testimonials in your book. Maybe touch on a couple of them. Um, well, take a couple. Let's, let's, let's take a look at them. Great. The one that I like to talk about the best, let me give you one that I like. And I actually talk about it in the beginning of the book. It was one of my early cases that I came across, one that, one that, geez, it opened up a lot of answers to what we were dealing with here, I think, uh, especially for me and my work. I had a, I was working at a boat company for 24 years when I first started into the UFO phenomenon here in Florida. And as I started into this research, you know, people used to make fun of me, you know, chasing UFOs. And I had a, a good friend that I worked with that uh, he had the best jokes, you know, talking about the UFO phenomenon. And uh, But I knew he was just teasing, you know. Until one day, he pulled me aside and he says, you know, can can we talk sometime? And I said, yeah, you know, we'll set up a time, we'll get together and I'll come over and we'll chat. And uh, I thought he was just, you know, actually had a little bit of an interest in it. But what I found out was is he wanted to share with me that even though he had been making fun of the phenomenon, he had actually been having experiences and he didn't know why. And his experiences were actually, he he would say, good experiences. I mean, they weren't scary. Um, they weren't doing anything harmful to him, these entities. Um, he was actually enjoying the experiences. And they were showing him different abilities that they could give him. But as I started talking to him, as he opened up to talk to me, things started to change for his experiences. And they did start to get not so nice. And didn't quite understand what was happening there. Uh, He didn't at first. And this is where the story gets really good. I was working second shift at the time, leading a, a fabrication department there. And uh, I would get home about 11, 11.30 at night. And he was on first shift. And we'd run into each other, you know, between shifts. And uh, he calls me. We were working four tens, So Thursday night was the last night for my week. And uh, I'd just gotten into the house, and the phone rang. And there was him, and he was quite upset. And uh, he couldn't talk very well on the phone. I mean, he was really disturbed. And next thing he said that, you know, they're coming again. And I knew 
nothing was going to happen to him. He said he'd been having experiences that already nothing harmful had come to him. So I didn't expect that there was going to be any more harm. So I told him right away, you know, because he didn't think he could stay on the phone. I said, put your girlfriend on the phone because he had a girlfriend that uh, he was dating at the time. And she got on the phone and she's like, who are you and what's going on? What's wrong with him? You know? And I, I told her, calm down. He's going to be all right. Just hang on to me on the phone. And I explained to her what was going on, what I knew had been going on, and which he had not shared with her And at the time. But what I found out was they had been out that night, and because that was the end of their week. So they had been out that night, and they were part of a pool team. That, you know, the different bars have pool teams. Um, that play pool against each other competitively. So they were on this pool team, and they were going from place to place and competing, playing pool. Well, he didn't drive, and she was driving. And the first time it happened, they were in the car, and he felt that the experiences was about to happen. And he made a comment. She didn't understand what he was talking about, and then he went out. He got very agitated, and then he just, like, blacked out in the seat, some slumped over. And then a couple minutes went by. She's watching him, you know, making sure he's okay. And then he pops up, and he's very agitated, and he's kind of angry, and um, she's really not understanding what's happening. And then it happened again a second time that night. And this is what got him agitated big time is he has no control over this now. And the experiences are not very nice. So this is when he calls me, and I'm explaining to her the best I could about what I knew, you know, was happening to him. And he comes back on the phone, finally come back into it. A couple minutes went by as I was talking to her. He wakes back up, gets on the phone, and he says, they're pissed at you. And I went, What? And he says, they know what the blank you're doing. They know that you know what's the truth. And they're pissed at you, I guess because that he was talking to me. So these entities gave him a message about me. And that brought me right to the knees in my kitchen where I was talking to him on the phone. Because that was way too close to home. And I had to put a lot of this together and a lot of thinking about what was happening here with this particular experience. And I told him, I said, we're going to come see you tomorrow morning, Friday morning. And I had a couple of friends come with me. And we went and had him tell us the whole story right you know, in front of us. But while he was telling us the story, reliving it on Friday morning, he didn't sleep well that night either. He felt it was coming again, that they were coming to take him again. Right while we're there talking to him, he feels that they're coming again to take him. And then one of the gals that was with us that morning, she's a Christian. She gets up behind him puts her hands on his shoulders and starts rebuking these beings and saying, you can't take him. You can't have him. He's a child of God. You have no right here. 
In other words, she's rebuking these entities. I'm sitting there watching this, and so is my other friend that was there with us. And then all of a sudden, he gets this peaceful grin on his face, and he asks, how did you do that? And that's when we had the opportunity to actually share with them what we did know. I had yet to do. This was right at the beginning of what I had found in my research. I hadn't shared with anybody. But these entities knew what I was up to. They knew what I had found, and they didn't want him to have any part of it. Wow. What we saw here in this tape was when he talked about his experience of being taken while in the car, he felt like it was a long period of time, but actually only a minute or so had passed because his girlfriend was driving and watching this whole thing happen. He wasn't being taken anywhere, but his memory of the experience was extensive and vivid and impacting and enough to jar him completely out, you know, right out of his soul. He was really upset with the experience and and what happened to him and felt that he had really been taken somewhere in both of the experiences that he had while in the car with her, but in the presence of a witness, never taken anywhere. In other words, what they had given him was a visionary, spiritual visionary type memory that was, you know, put into his mind of the experience, but he never went anywhere. And that's when I started to realize this whole thing is a lie. This whole idea of the abduction experience is a lie. What I needed to do was find out how to prove it. And that's what I went on to work with in my research over the years. Hmm. Fascinating. You know, I have so many questions tonight that we, we may go an hour and then maybe I'll have you back in a month or two and we can tackle the second half of the questions if that would be okay with you. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, excellent. I feel like some of the questions further down that I had compiled would interfere with these, with the impact of these. Um, I know your book is full of testimonials, Piercing the Cosmic Veil. If we were to sum up a lot of these testimonials, the most powerful ones, is there a, a correlating a strand, so to speak, where there's something about the relationship uh, between Jesus Christ and these aliens and UFOs. What What is it about that? They respond to his name hmm. in every case that I have in the book. And that's, that is what my work entails, is, is gathering these testimonials of people that have had these encounters and they've called on the name and authority of Jesus Christ to stop the experience. And it does stop. Through a relationship with him and through God's word, and study of God's word, and building that relationship with Jesus Christ, these experiences actually are terminated as a life pattern for these people. There's nothing out there in the UFO realm that works like this. People have talked about this so-called thought screen helmet that somebody developed years ago to, to protect your mind. 
and guard your mind. People talk about different types of, you know, things that they can do to terminate an experience, to stop an experience while it's happening or prevent them from happening. But nothing stops it as a life pattern like the relationship and the name and authority of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else out there. The other names of other deities doesn't work like this. Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, they don't work like this. That's the evidence that I bring forward. And then you tie that up into my findings on how the experience works. You start to see that what we're dealing with here is not what we thought it was, as you saw with a lot of the quotes that I read to you. They're already seeing that it's something else than what we thought it was. It seems to be a more spiritual experience that these people are experiencing. My my good friend and peer in this, this work, Kerry Bates from Creation Ministries International, he wrote the book Alien Intrusion, UFOs and the Evolution Connection, released back in 2005, I think it was. I worked with him on his book before it was published. He actually shares my work in his book. And we've been friends and close peers all along. He came to the understanding and the realization that, and he shared it with me, that he felt that what these people were describing in their experiences were very similar to what we were, people were hearing when they listened to somebody who's been, uh, how do I say it, deceived on a stage hypnosis show. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. When they get people to believe something that isn't true. Sort of like a trance. Sort of like a trance. It's actually the power of suggestion is Mm -hmm. more of what we're talking about. They put them into a state that they're more susceptible to suggestion. That's the hypnotic state. The suggestion, that's the all-powerful thing. And they're using suggestion to get these people to believe something that isn't true. And then when they bring them out and try to share with them that what they <laughs> what they now believe is true is not true, they get very upset. You know, it's hard for them to accept that they've been deceived like that. So the question we were looking at there is just human beings can do that to each other. How much easier it for these entities to do this? And that's when I started looking in depth into what he was, what Gary was saying here. And I watched a lot of the work that he had referred me to. And that was uh, a guy in England, uh, Darren Brown is his name. And you'll see some of his shows that he did uh, on TV over there on YouTube now. And it's fascinating the ability he was able to use on people. So I started looking at that and re-looking at the experiences of what these people were talking about and sharing. And I went back and re-interviewed a lot of the experiencers that I'd worked with. And I said, we're going to 
go back and look at your experience again. But I'm going to stop this time, and I'm going to ask you questions. I don't use hypnosis. My training working with MUFON and my training into being a safety professional has taught me how to ask the right questions and dig deeper into something to get the answers you need without using hypnosis. It's just a process of asking the right questions. And that's the method that I use. And I went back and I said, we're going to take you through. Just tell me your story as you remember it. And then I'd stop them and I'd say, well, pause right there. Let's look to your left. What do you see? Look to your right. What do you see? Do you feel a breeze? Do you feel temperature on while you're in this experience? And what I found out was a lot of the sensations were not recorded. There's a lot of gaps in their stories, things that just weren't there. Well, your secular hypnotic regression hypnotherapists that work with these people will tell you that, oh, the aliens must have put a mind block on them so they can't remember everything. Well, I don't agree with that. I think that it's not a mind block. I don't think that the information was ever there in the first place. Because what I'm seeing is these people are only given the most sensational aspect of the story. It's sensational and impacting. In other words, it's enough that it's so vivid to them that when they wake up and they remember it later, it's like, oh, I know it's real. I know it has to be real because it was so sensational. They're using a shock and awe effect on them. In other words, what I was seeing here is like if you went to a play and you're sitting in the audience and you're watching this play and they change the scenes up on the stage and they're starting to put things up on the stage for the next scene and they bring in a couch, a love seat, a table, a couple end tables, some pictures on the wall. Well, you start thinking, oh, this is a living room setting. But is all the detail there for you to get that idea? All the detail like you have in your living room? No. Just enough to get the point across that this is a living room scene. This is a living room setting. And I think that's exactly what's happening with these people and their experiences. They're getting just enough information, sensational impacting information, for them to believe it's real. And in every aspect, they believe it's real. And keep in mind that they all remember it after the fact. Okay? Yeah. It's always remembered after the fact. It's like almost every case that's come to me, it's like, you know, I've had these dreams. You know, if you'd have just left it at that and moved on, you probably wouldn't be having the issues that you have in your life now, you know, falling for this deception. And it, let's look back at what the secular hypnotherapists are looking at now. They believe that everything they get under hypnosis from these people 
has to be real, has to be accurate. They believe that because they used hypnosis and because of their techniques, everything can be trusted as being real. Well, let's look at that again from this perspective of a stage hypnotist using the power of suggestion. So here's what we have. You have a person who's had this memory waking up and they have this memory or later something triggers this memory, but it's a memory and it's a partial memory, but there's aspects to it that are very similar to what they've seen on TV and other shows and movies that make them wonder, wow, was that an abduction experience? So what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to go tell their family doctor, right? I don't think so. Nobody does that. (laughs) What they want to do is find somebody that they can trust that won't make fun of them, that won't think they're crazy, won't try to put them on medication or get them treatment. In other words, they already believe that it's possibly real. And they're going to seek out somebody that they can talk to that will not ridicule them, accept them for what they're saying, and help them learn more about what's happened to them. And who would that kind of person be? A secular UFO researcher, especially one that does hypnotherapy. So they've already set themselves up using the power of suggestion that they're going to get answers. You see where I'm going with this? Yes, absolutely. Fascinating. They've set themselves up. Mm-hmm. It's not the, re- the hypnotherapist that sets them up. They're just accepting and sharing what they got. The people themselves have set themselves up. I truly believe, looking at you know the 20-some years, 25 years that I've been doing this, that if the people had just let it go, not even tried to see what it was, I don't think they would be dealing with this at all. Hmm, that takes us to that takes us to the question is why did these people have the experience in the first place? And the secular realm is still asking those questions. And we found in the research that there were three answers to that question. Why does this happen to certain people? Not just one, but it could be one or a combination of the three. And it wasn't because you got RH negative blood. That had nothing to do with it. I don't believe it's generic in any way. What we found was, number one, some people ask for this experience. And your listeners are probably going, they got to be crazy. Uh, No, just curious. You know, people want to know. They asked for the experience. The second one was people that unknowingly opened themselves up to the experience. And what do I mean by that? What I found was that those people in that category had been dabbling in areas that the Bible tells us do not mess with. And those areas I'm referring to are like the occult, the new age, the paranormal in any aspect. 
anything that the Bible warns us of, don't mess with. They were dabbling in those areas and unknowingly, because of that, opened themselves up for the experience to happen to them. But there's a third one that I ran into that I had to try and understand, and that was one where adults were saying, I didn't fall into those first two, so why did I have the experience? And I said, well, why do you say that? And they said, well, I remember having these experiences since I was a child. I didn't know anything to ask about, and I definitely wasn't dabbling in anything I shouldn't have been. I was just a little child, six, seven years old maybe. And that one puzzled me for a bit, and I thought, you know, if this is a spiritual experience, and it seems to be related to things that are talked about in Scripture, the Bible, maybe I can find the answer in there too. And I did. So I went back to verify what I found was correct by asking some more questions to the experiencers. And it wasn't about their experience itself that they were talking about. I started asking these particular experiences, tell me what you remember in your early childhood about your family. What were they part of? What were they into? What did they belong to? Can you remember anything about the home life itself? And every single time, the people that said that they had had these experiences since a child was because the parents had opened those doors. And Scripture talks about that. Scripture says that the head of the household is, God says the head of the household is the man and the family. And if that father isn't keeping a spiritual covering over that family, they're susceptible to the things that the enemy throws at them as well as he is. And this is what we were seeing over and over and over. Wow, fascinating stuff. I had to mute my microphone. I apologize, but uh, my kitten is going after the mini blinds right now for for some. You may hear it in the background. (laughs) You always have somebody vying for a co-host spot. Uh, Yeah, I'm surprised mine haven't acted up yet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Joe, I want to thank you for being our guest this week, and and I will have you on in in a little while for for more questions. But before we go – Talk about your website. Where is it at? What can people find there? And also, where can people go to order your book, Piercing the Cosmic Veil, again by Joe Jordan and Jason Dezember? Well, the website's real easy to remember. It's www.ee4, the number four, research.com. Real easy to remember ce4research.com. And the book, you can find that on Amazon. I have it available in paperback and also in Kindle. And if you want to reach out and get a signed copy by me, just contact me. I keep some here that I send out to people that like signed copies. Um, You can reach me through my email at ce, the number four, president at yahoo.com. And if you're one of these testimonials, please reach out to me because what I've been doing all of these years is collecting these testimonials because when people start looking at this phenomenon, I want to make sure that they're capturing this piece of the puzzle. 
because this is the one that's not being documented. This is one that's not being talked about. This is one that they're trying to keep quiet. But I've got hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of testimonials that I've documented over the years that the name and authority of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him can terminate these experiences when there's nothing else out there that works for people. The one thing that we can offer people in this field is hope, hope that they can put this behind them. Amen. Well said. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being our guest tonight, uh, Joe Jordan. And again, the book is Piercing the Cosmic Veil. You can purchase that on Amazon.com as my little cat is uh, tearing up the mini blinds. (laughs) Sounds like your cats are working overtime, too. Yeah, somebody's triggered (laughs) one. (laughs) The the good thing I can say is that uh, my kitten is sleeping at night, so that's a wonderful thing. Uh, Joe, I want to have you back in a little while, and I'm also going to look into Jason as a guest in in the future. Um, But uh, thank you for this uh, powerful interview tonight, and uh, I hope you have a great evening, and thanks once again. Well, thank thank you, Bruce, for coming back and uh, doing these shows again. I miss you. You've done some great shows over the years, you know, and and this one's just going to be as powerful as the ones we did before. Great. Thank you so much, Joe. And I want to thank our audience tonight for listening and and trying to participate Uh, again in the future. He's going to really, my cat is really going to hurt himself if he's not careful. He's on one of, he's on one of those uh, giant tall, uh, um, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I want to say statue, but it's a, a toy and he's halfway up the mini blinds uh, trying to chase that. <laughs> he's not so much getting the mini blind. He's trying to get the little strings that control the mini blind, but he's hitting the mini blind too. Anyway, we'll wrap it up tonight. We'll be back in a few weeks. Our next guest is Eddie Snipes. He's going to be talking about the grace of God. Joe Jordan, thanks again. And we will join you all next time. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you.